What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of ESPN's Ball on the Real World podcast. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the full cast today. We've got NBL broadcast extraordinaire, master of the analyzer, Pete Hooley, and Steve Smith's back. Our colleague at ESPN Australia, we haven't had Steve for a while, which means that he's got plenty of takes on the NBL, and that's exactly what we're talking about today. Steve, what's going on? Hey, Kane. Pete, it's been a minute, hasn't it? It has been a minute. I don't think we've... It might have been the Ben Simmons Debate Club, actually, was the last time we spoke, which was going back a while ago. By the way, NBA trade deadline about two weeks away, so things are going to heat up there. But we are talking NBL today, Pete, and we've been discussing the Sydney Kings for a while, and I think that they are right now the biggest talking point of the NBL. I'm not sure whether you fellas agree, but Pete, they got the win against Brisbane in the return matchup. It was in Sydney, but they played twice in three days. Normally, I wouldn't describe a matchup as an absolute must-win in the first 10 games of the season. But to me, this qualified as an absolute must-win for Sydney. They're 4-6 and six now. They've played more games than any other team in the competition. They got the job done. But what do we make of the Sydney Kings? I'm with you. I think it was a must-win, just in terms of... I mean, I'm not sure whether you had them winning as championship favourites, but definitely contenders with everything that they've put together. And they just haven't really shown that consistency that a lot of us expected. I mean, they had some superstar signings. Now, I give them... I cut them a little bit of slack in terms of not having the full cohort together, even in a pre-season for a long time. We know how important that is to build a new culture. Chase Buford coming to change the way he, the style of play and everything. So to be able to play together, practicing is one thing, but actually playing against an opposition and building on that is completely different. They haven't had that. RJ Hunter going down with injury. They've just been dealt some pretty bad hands. But again, they haven't really lived up to the expectation a lot of us uh, wanted. And the game up in Brisbane, that was that was poor. And a lot of it can come down to the Xavier Cook's um, ejection, which we'll, we'll speak about as well. But... Yeah, they, they needed that win. They showed what they can do. And to be honest, if they want to be successful this year, it's going to come on the back of an MVP-type season from Xavier Cooks. I think he is their most important player. Jalen Adams, which again, we'll touch on, but I think it's Xavier Cooks. He has to lead it. Steve, if we continue the conversation with Xavier Cooks, because sometimes we can look into it and we can try and read into uh, the situation a little bit deeper than what it was, but Hall said it. In my opinion, a very questionable ejection. And we, you, know, you can discuss the way it went down with the unsportsmanlike foul, which may have been unsportsmanlike to the letter of the law. But ultimately, in a situation where that leads to a key player and a star of the league being ejected, in my opinion, I don't like it. I thought it was ridiculous. But they were up by 15 points against Brisbane. Yeah. And they looked great at that point in time. He went out of the game. They crumbled, really, from, from that point out. He plays the full game on Sunday, 13 points, 12 rebounds five blocks, and he's a facilitator for a guy of his size. I agree with Pete. He's the most important player. Do you, is it as simple as that with the Sydney Kings? Now, they've been on the roller coaster all year long. Yeah. But he played, and they look different. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the one that makes them go. Like, every team needs that ignition system, and he's that. And I, I agree with both of you guys. I, I, I didn't really understand how that could have been an ejection. I, I thought it was, like you said, Kane, I thought it was soft. And then for Sydney to sort of fall apart at that point, it didn't speak really highly of their, you know, stability and ability to sort of work their way through any kind of adversity at all. Like they've been all over the place. Like that was the second fourth quarter, you know, collapse that they've had. Like you look at where they sit in the standings and they're eighth in the league in scoring and yet they're, but they're fifth in, you know, defensive you know, points allowed. So they really need to get it together at one end of the floor and they're, and they're fine. Like, you know, as, as you said, as Pete said, like they've put together a really nice roster. All they need to do is actually start holding things together. And I think, like you said, Sunday was a really, really good starting point and it was absolutely a must win. I don't think, Pete, we, I think we look at this differently and I, I wonder what you took from the weekend. And again, it's a little bit difficult because the lineups did change. And we should note for Brisbane in the second game, Harrison went out. He was pretty important. But I think I think that Harrison on the floor with Cooks out really emphasized the size issues that Sydney may have. But they are going to have a replacement player at some point. Now, 
they're going to bring in an import. We know that. The, the reports have suggested that it's going to be a guard. I don't think you necessarily agree with that. Did the weekend change anything at all for you? It actually, I think it's further to my point that I think they need, I would like to see them go for a big man in terms of an impact guy. And yes, they played a matchup when Harrison went down. I think they still found ways to exploit Harrison because he was trying to guard Xavier Cooks. Mm-hmm. Drummond's a stud. Xavier Cooks, I think, is an elite defender. But Xavier Cook's not going to be guarding the fives around the league. So my biggest problem with the Kings is if they start to roll, if they come up against the Uniteds with Luala Chul, they come up against Duop Breath if he's healthy, these other legitimate big scoring uh, centers, what are they going to be able to do with that? I think that's where they could really fill a void. Again, Xavier Cooks, he, he can defend at such a high level in terms of off the ball with his length and size. He made in that game in Brisbane, he, Robert Franks had two points in the first half. Uh, with Xavier Cook's guarding him. That just showed what he can do. And on the ejection, I think it was, I mean, it's a terrible ejection. The unsportsmanlike foul for the pulling of jersey of shorts, as you said, letter of the law, it sucks. And a lot of the time as a player, you forget that you've had that like flagrant type one because it's just a foul. You haven't had a behavioral tech, so you don't think about it. But from all reports, what he was thrown out for was something that the referees need to understand. This is nowhere near even a technical foul initially, but you need to know that, okay, unless he's done something crazy the second time, you've got to, I think the referees at the time forgot as well, mm-hmm. like, hang on, he's already had an unsportsmanlike for just pulling a jersey, which a lot of time you can, it can just be a mental slip. So all of that has to be able to come, be able to be computed. I would love to see, even if you do have a little bit of a hot tempo or a short fuse and you start, you blow it, say technical foul, you can come together and go, what's said? If you come to an agreement, say, look, we've got to do it. It's not really there. I would love to see that. Like around Sportsman, you can review that and pull down. If you can get three referees together and say, look, it's not, I don't think it really classifies the tech. Then you, we want the superstars in the games. Again, if he charges at a ref, if he turns around and gives an absolute mouthball, like we're talking about Sobe in game one of the season that was caught on the coach's mic, that's different. It, it did. It changed the game for sure. And they, again, bottom line is Xavier Cook's got to be a little bit smarter than that. But he, I would love to see them get a big to make sure that they can help out on the defensive end. I would assume their scoring is going to be okay going forward. Vasilevich looked good. Jalen Adams, he's welcome to the league, Jalen Adams. They've got other pieces. Their big depth defensive-wise with no Jordan Hunter is what worries me. So, Pete, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, Pete, do you think, given how good a defender Xavier Cooks is, what if they decide to go small for extended periods rather than getting, like you said, a, a big import? What if they... What if they whack him at the five for extended periods? Do you think they can do that? I think they can against certain teams. But again, yeah. I'm looking at teams around the league who are, I think are going to be in the finals. Like Melbourne United, if they go small, is still not really small. And you look yeah. at South Melbourne Phoenix, you're going to have Joe Chi. Now they've got Brandon Ashley. So it's a different type of thing. Again, Perth Wildcats, when they go smaller now, if, if their bigs are Matt Hodgson versus Majuk Majuk, they're not real scoring bigs. Um, yep. Then other teams in the league, Tasmania, Brisbane, it works well because Brisbane goes small a lot with Robert Franks at the five. But Brisbane have gone small for years. That's just the way, for some reason, that's yeah. the way they play. I don't know if it works in a series and come finals. That's my biggest fear. They don't really have that big. Jordan Hunter, we can't talk about that enough. That's a massive loss for how good he was last year in just terms of holding down the fort as a big. And I like the option when you have a big guy like that. Jerome Martin is a mismatch when he plays at either spot, but at the four. Then Xavier Cooks at the three. There, the issue is Xavier Cooks can't hit the three ball. So, a lot to work with for Chase Pupil. Yeah. I did a bit of re- I don't know if this is... I did some research, boys. This may surprise you. But I, I thought I read, or I read... I found a story online that said that around 2017, they changed... FIBA changed the rules from... Uh, it used to be two unsportsmanlike fouls and two technicals, and then they basically changed the rule to say you can combine them together. But I must admit, I saw... I mean, it looked like complete confusion from everyone when Cooks was on the bench. Nobody understood that he was ejected from the game. Zave sat down. He went to the bench because he thought he was in foul trouble. And it's like, no, now you've got to leave the game. But anyway, that was obviously costly for uh, Sydney on that night. I, I actually... Now, I think the point you make when teams go big, and particularly with Melbourne, and we're going to get to them next with JLA and then Hook Porty, who has been looking better and better every single night. Not only does Melbourne have size, but they have the athleticism, which I think is where Sydney could get caught out because I did look at them against Brisbane and even with 
Harrison out of the game and then you are playing some Franks at the five, I looked at it that Sydney actually has a real point of difference. And that is a lineup that's going to cause major problems for a bunch of teams. Athleticism-wise, if Harrison is on the floor, if Joe Chi's on the floor, I want to see Sydney play Southeast Melbourne again and say, okay, let's see if we can get Joe Chi on the perimeter. Let's see if we can, if we can play him off the floor. But I, I think it's, it's an interesting discussion to have. I, again, if they do go with a guard, I think that they do lack a guy on the perimeter outside of Jalen Adams that can get into the paint a little bit. We know Cooks can facilitate, but he seems more dangerous as a guy you get as the role man. He gets the ball around the free throw line. He can either he can either score, he can look to the perimeter, he can look off defenders, those types of things. But Sydney, I think they're super talented. You said at the start, I had them in the grand final. I mean, I, I think this yeah. roster is awesome. Nothing has gone right. Absolutely nothing has gone right for this team. And they're four and six. And the nature of the NBL, you don't have too much time to figure it out. They have to get on a bit of a roll here, particularly because the league looks so even. But speaking of getting on a roll, Melbourne... Seven in a row. Are they the most reliable team in the league, Steve, when you project ahead and you think you know what you're going to get from night to night? Yeah, I think so. I think it, we, we probably were a bit quick to write them off, weren't we, when they were, you know, 0-2 and, and, and probably looking a little, not shaky, but, you know, they, they probably hadn't really gotten things going. to since, But since then, I, they're kind of the polar opposite, and we'll get to Illawarra, but they're kind of the polar opposite of the Hawks at the moment in that, they're doing it with defense. So traditionally, you know, we, we look at a United team and we think it's high powered and we think they're going to rack up the points. You know, it's like a pinball machine, but they're doing it at the other end. Like they're conceding just 73 points a game. Like they're, they're first in the league by a wide margin. It does help. I will say it does help when you hold a team to 47 points and it's a small sample size. That does, <laughs> that's, that skews the numbers a little bit. Does but it, though? Like, it does. I mean, it does. It does. I mean, that's a pretty small sample size. But to your point, I still think they are the best defensive team in the league. Mm. But on the offensive end, Joe Lawalichul was a guy that came off the bench last year. And this, I think, is where it comes back to Melbourne and the culture that they have and what they've been able to build over multiple years. And the roster changes every single year. But not many teams in the league have this buy-in year on year on year. And this, for me, is what I overlooked because I say, okay, well, you got no Jock Lander. you got no Scotty, Hapson, uh, Scotty Hobson. you got no Udai Barber. Keep going down the list. Mitch McCarron. You lose all these guys. There's no reason that you should come into the season and win seven in a row, basically straight off the bat. There's no reason you should, but it's because all these guys are prepared. All these guys played important minutes last year. They look super comfortable in their, in their new roles. Well, Steve's right in terms of their defense. I still had, I still am not sold in terms of do they need another piece offensively. But again, this is the master of Dean Vickerman. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. Is, and he probably knew that when they're going through preseason, when they're having all their work, thinking our offense, we're, we're maybe, we don't have the Scotty Hobson. We don't have that exact production that we need. So when it comes down to it, if we, we've still got our superstar, we've still got Chris Belding, we've still got other guys who can put the ball in the basket. So if we're not scoring, Dean Vickham will make sure that they're getting stops, which we haven't seen with the Hawks. And when things dry up, what can you hang your hat on? That's, that is the Dean Vickham style. And he'll make sure that you learn it every single day. And we're seeing that. That's the, that's the reason they're so tough to beat is because you might think that you're playing great defense on them and they're not scoring, but you won't be ticking the scoreboard over yourself. And he'll make sure of that. And I love that they're making Joe a focus. And this is a man who... And when I spoke to him after he came back from the States and he was basically saying, he said, yeah, I was over there. And to be honest, I, I don't see anybody who can stand in my way of getting back there. And that's the kind of vibe that he has. And, then, you know, I never bought into it. Every single player, start, they're just rolling the ball to him saying, go to work and letting him play his game, not trying to change the way he is. And I think that's the thing that is so great about United is everybody's buying into the culture. And even Caleb Agata, I think he was trying to find his feet early, probably thinking a little bit of, well, this is Chris Golding's team. This is Delhi's team. Everyone knows who Delhi is. And he would have had a chat to Dean Vickman and Dean's like, mate, I need you to do a bit more like offensively. That's the whole, that's why we brought you in. And now he's starting to play freer and everybody else. And we can't understate the importance of Jack White. Jack White solves so many yeah. problems in terms of their defense of, okay, even like Chris Golding, well, I don't have to be an elite defender, but I can just pressure a little bit more because if I get beaten, I've got this athletic specimen behind me to just wall up. He, barely gets in any fouls in terms of walling up as a help defender. And you've got Joe Lawalichul, an elite rim protector, 
So everything comes, I love, as soon as Jack White, that's what they kept the spot open for. They said, well, Jack White's going to be coming back. So when he comes back, then we're going to feel whole again. You're going to find it tough to beat them in any series because of how much they hang their hats on defense. We should talk about Jack White and DJ Vasilovic, by the way, who we mm. didn't mention in the Sydney chat, but both those guys look incredible. It's unbelievable. DJ is 20 for 45 from three in the season. Jack White looks more athletic than he was beforehand. That was something he spoke about. He said, listen, when you get 12 months or 10 months to work on your body and say, okay, what can I fix that? I've just had this natural athleticism in the past, but now I have 10 months to work on my body. He looks great. How would you assess Dali so far, Steve? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think there were really, really high expectations coming into the season and I think initially there was some questions around exactly how he was going to go and, and how he went for the first few games. There was a real sort of trough there for, for a little while. And then he kind of exploded, you know, for a couple of games. And I'm still not 100% sold on what you're going to get each night from him, um, but he's getting there. And I think as he gets more and more comfortable in, in Vickerman's system, and I think that's part of the reason for, that's a big part of their success. As, as Pete was saying, you, you look at, not to just not talk about Delhi for a sec, but if you look at Vickerman and how long he's been there now, I, I think it's a hallmark of really successful teams over the long-term journey. So you look at Perth and United are now the same because they have a system, they know what works, you plug players into it. And I think that's the key for Delhi is he just needs to find that niche where he's not being relied on to score. He can do all the, the hustle stuff that he loves to do. And it's just finding that balance for him now, I think. On that, you talk about Dean Vickerman, the way they do it from year to year, and this is something that I love. And I'm a big fan of Dave Barlow as a teammate, as a person, and a guy who now he might only play seven to ten minutes a game this season, but he, Dean Vickerman trusts him both to throw it there in crucial points and also what he does off the floor in terms of helping people buy in. That is the kind of culture that they've created there. And you talk about the expectation of Delhi. Do you think a lot of it was a bit too high from just basketball fans in general and like non maybe the more NBA fan in Australia rather than NBL and they now they've gravitated towards it because the really people like us, we know what the NBL is, we know exactly how Delhi plays. We had a probably a probably still a higher expectation than we should have had. But again, I just keep going back to he got obliterated by a dunk from Mitch Creek and went after that, just said whatever, and nearly carried them to a win that did not look likely at all. It's just the character of the person that he is. Yeah, I think the team probably was guilty. And, and they had to do this because it's, it's a, you know, a Victorian kid coming home from a, from a fairly you know, unlikely lengthy career in the NBA. So he's come home and they've hyped him up. And they've had to do that. I get why. But yeah, for the casual fan, I think they might have come along for the first few games and gone, oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, so like, I think, as you said, you know, people like us, we, we understood what he was going to bring and, and how he was going to go. So I, again, I think there's just that adjustment and, and leveling out. And I think he'll be fine. It's just the expectations probably were a little higher than maybe what they should have been. I think the team had to talk up Dully as the scorer though. And I remember talking to Dean Vickerman on, on media day. And I, I just asked him the question, why are you talking about this so much? Why is this so important to you that Dully is a scorer? And he said, well, pretty simple. If he's not looking to score, everyone knows that he's a facilitator. Everyone knows that he's going to try to pass the ball. If every team looks at Dully and says, well, we're just going to play you for the pass. All of a sudden, everything closes down a little bit. And I, I think we saw... Not, not a huge reaction, but we saw a little bit of a reaction from the one scoring game that he had. He knocked down all those threes. Illawarra were literally saying, shoot whatever you want. We don't care. Yeah. We're giving you two meters of space on the three-point line. He knocked him down. In the second half, that changed. Daly was already too hot by that point, although he did miss some threes in the second half. And then in the game, the other night, it wasn't, it's not like the scouting report changed 100%. It wasn't, they didn't flip it completely, but they weren't daring him to shoot. And when he had the ball in the pick and roll, all of a sudden uh, the, the player would go over the screen every now and then. Maybe every second or third play, they'd go over the screen. But even if they were going under, they were quickly recovering and, and getting a hand in his face. That's enough for a guy like Dully to say, okay, well, if you go over, I'm going to go downhill and then I can score, I can pass. If you go uh, under the screen, then all of a sudden there's more room for Chris Golding to move, more room for Caleb Gata. So that's why it's important. It doesn't really matter about Dully scoring 30 points because chances are he might not do it again this season. 
but he has to be able. He has to be a threat, Pete, to score. No, you're exactly right. I, I was saying after that game against the Hawks where he exploded that he, he changed the scout because everybody was daring him to shoot. And it's just a great story for all the like young kids out there, young players. Of he just put in the work, and I think he said uh, at halftime, he said, "I'm not surprised." He goes, "I put in the work. Like this is bound to happen." But what it has, he's such a smart player that he knows that if he's 0-4 or five, he's not going to keep launching. He just knows that it's not happening in that game, and he trusts the next game. So I think he has changed it in terms of teams now know you might give him a couple, and maybe like the Hawks said, well, if he hits four, maybe then we'll do something different because it's Delhi. But now that might be down to about two. If Delhi hits two, well, we're going <laughs> to we really have to make sure that because he will stick with it. He trusts all the work that he does and. It's just great to see him running around. I think he just brings that extra little bit of it is. It's weird. He brings the Delhi factor, obviously, but it's he's made that niche his own, and that's why it's going to help Melbourne United. What do you think about Adelaide and Pete? I'll, I'll just come back to you because you saw this team last night. Now, I think there's two ways to look at this. We can get to the Hawks in a little bit. You already mentioned the Hawks are scoring more points than anyone. They're also giving up more points than anyone. But Adelaide defensively has been a disaster so far this year. They had that one bounce back performance against Perth. Though, I will say, teams that have had a long break, you have no idea what you're going to get. Uh, They jumped Perth early. They won the game. This has been incredibly disappointing from them so far. We talk about way too early predictions. I had them in the top four because I was kind of looked at all the pieces and I was like, well, these are guys like you get one a second chance from Harvey King to show what he did to do for my... And again, a lot of that was based on Isaac Humphries being healthy and tapping into at least 75% of what we saw before he got hurt last year. Uh, you talk about the defensive end, him not being there hurts. That's, that's a big thing in terms of having that room protection, having that big guy, the way he shows on screens. I love Daniel Johnson. I've loved... I was teammates with him when I was training with the Sixers from 2009. He is an absolute bucket, but he, no, he's not out there to play defense. That's not what Daniel Johnson does. And you talk about that. Now you've got uh, Cam Bairstow, who is an absolute revelation trying his butt off. But again, who else is going to be that? They, Sunday Detch is back, so their guards, Mitch McCarron can try and lock in a little bit more. But again, they can't score the ball all the time. And when that dries up, can they count their... Uh, count getting a stop they just can't so that's something that CJ Bruton's got to figure out is how do I preach how important defense is because you can every team goes through dry spells and I we just haven't seen them be able to really lock in and get uh get those stops when it matters most are they too big Steve I mean their bigs have been good and we know what to expect from them on the offensive end as Pete's been talking about Cam Besto has been incredible Daniel Johnson generally you know you're going to get 18 and 10 Isaac Humphreys I think to be fair, any projections that had Adelaide in the finals, like potentially you, yeah. Pete, were perhaps relying on Isaac Humphreys being an MVP yeah. candidate again. Yeah, I think they've almost got the opposite problem to Sydney, haven't they? Can we can we get maybe one of their bigs over to Sydney? Um, <laughs> right. But yeah. like, as you said, you know, DJ walking bucket. But yeah, teams know they can attack him defensively. And we even, you know, we saw that last night in the third quarter. Like Illawarra just went absolutely bonkers. And... Adelaide were powerless to really do anything. And, and, you know, Mitch McCarron will dig in, but, you know, it, it's, it's pushing everything uphill. It's, all of it seems an effort to get stops. And by the fourth quarter, the game's done and they're kind of out of gas to be able to reel it all the way back in. Let's move on to a team that I think a lot of people had again in the finals mix, perhaps with a little more surety than Adelaide. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix... Pauls, I'm going to you first because this is a conversation we've been having off uh, off Zoom, off the recording. Do you think that too much depth can be a problem? It definitely can. I mean, I think for the most part, 70% of it, having the depth and talent on a team like the Phoenix do is a massive positive. Fair but right. when it can become a little sticky is obviously trying to make everybody happy. And role clarity is so important in a successful team. And when it comes to the business end of the season, when everybody's roles are identified, the best part about having the depth is that if players aren't on on a certain night, then you can bring someone else in and they can come in and save the game and you've got that talent everywhere. The issue that you can run into is, well, as a starter, if I'm not performing, then someone on the bench is, then my role's changing and then it can change again. And you never really get set as a team. Now, I think I highlighted during the weekend of they bring Brandon Ashley in, great signing. In terms of their defense, 
out there with the bigs with Joe Chi. Dane Pinot's an excellent on-ball defender that we've seen over when he was healthy uh, the year before last. And now they've got a different aspect. So he's got right out, pretty much out of the rotation. And, and as Steve said, in terms of the defense in Sydney, there's another player that we had a trade period. You'd be putting your hand up saying, well, I could come and really help you guys. But that's the 75% of having the depth is perfect. It's only going to help you be better. But you can run into a little bit of problem with roles consistently changing. You never get that momentum going forward where everybody's feeling good about where they sit. And then a couple of players, you'd hope, everybody, you'd hope everybody buys in like we saw with Melbourne United, Scotty Hobson involved. I'll come off the bench. I'll do my thing. You hope, you'd hope everybody buys into that. Everyone's been a part of a team. But you'd also have the chance that maybe that some players aren't happy uh, over the course of a season. So we haven't seen that yet. My biggest fear is that, my biggest worry is that role clarity consistently changing because Cam Glidden, he's fucking flat out play. This guy's been uh, playing in the green and gold plenty of times and we, we've barely seen him this season. So if he starts to break out, what happens to Ryan Brokoff, who's due for a breakout as well? So there's all those question marks that are going on. In the end, I still think they're going to be there at this end of the season. I'm not sure about you, Steve. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's a fair call. Uh, on, on Glidden, um, I think he's probably good for that Barlow role now. I think, obviously, he can still play clearly, but I think heavy minutes, I think we saw even last season that big minutes for him didn't work. So if he's accepting of that, and there's no reason to think that he wouldn't, he's, he's a good veteran. Um, he's an ideal, you know, he's ideal for that limited minutes role. And, you know, if, if he accepts that, if then the younger players on the team look at, look at a veteran like that and say, well, if he's accepting it, I'm going to do my bit as well. So I think that's really crucial, like you said about, and you're right, like having too many, too much talent is, is a good problem to have, but you need everyone on board. I think it comes down to, and this is why if we tie it back to Melbourne again, it's why it's so important to have the Australian veterans on the team that have been with the club for a few years because they are generally the ones that dictate this. And that's why Melbourne last year were able to get away with saying, hey, we're going to play Jock Landau 25 minutes and Jock Landau bought in because he's got Dave Barlow in the locker room. He's got Chris Golding in the locker room and then obviously Dean Vickerman coaching. And this has been something that South East Melbourne have been big on since year one. It was the reason why they got the guys like Cam Glidden and, and Mitch Creek, who they wanted to be the, the, the leader on the court and now Ryan Brokoff. Now, does Ryan Brokoff buy into this at the start of the season? He was, he was all about the team. And, and he was like, look, we're going to have a bounce back season, but this team wants to have success. Like Pete said, he is due for a breakout. He's also due for some good luck. I know COVID has gone through the entire league, but it just feels like he just cannot get a good break here. And now, hopefully, the league has settled down a little bit because that game that he played where he came off the bench, people were talking about it. He just got over COVID. He basically hadn't practiced. And it just feels like, and again, it's not to make excuses for him, but it does feel like he just can't get going, Pete. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, we didn't, we were calling that game and I wasn't sure why we didn't get told exactly why he was coming off the bench and then he'd explain it. Looked good towards the end of the game once the, the Phoenix were trying to just slowly make that score more respectable after getting blown out early. From the Bullets, and you're 100%. I mean, I'm still high on Ryan Brokoff. He just, his mindset, the way he was moving in preseason, looked like he was ready for this breakout. We haven't seen it yet. And in terms of their, we're talking about their depth, I really only think Mitch Creek's probably the only player who's going to be playing 32 minutes a game plus. Mm -hmm. Like, that's Simon Mitchell's probably thinking of. He's going to be out there unless you really need to sub or foul trouble. And everybody else is going to fill that void. They, they go down and beat Tasmania pretty comfortably, and Xavier Mumford barely does anything. And that's just kind of the game you you're going to have is, okay, well, everyone else is chiming in. Kyle Adams having a good game off the bench, which he so often does. Other players are getting involved. That, that is the huge positive of having the talent. Um, but even still, like Ruben Trangi, we're just seeing spot minutes from him now. And he had a bit of a breakout period of getting back to the Ruben Trangi we've seen. So as Steve said, it's a good problem to have. Everybody's buying in. Um, but I would love to see that role clarity, at least from the main guys. Joe Chi's one but kind of got exposed a little bit early in that Bullets game. I know he wasn't completely healthy. And he Big Lou, I tell you, if they play Brisbane, Pete, Big Lou, he's going to play JT off the floor. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. Well, I mean, that's what happened. And it happened in early in the Tassie game. Simon Mitchell sat him, and then he came. He was a monster in the second half. So that's where it can help is you've got now Brandon Ashley. You've got different guys to throw in and just see what works and then trust maybe in the second half after they've had a break. Um, but the role clarity is crucial in a championship team. That's why Melbourne United was so good with Jock Landau buying in, Scotty Hobson coming off the bench. I remember in 
2019 when we signed Mitch McCarron, uh, there was the conversation. Dean Vickman was basically saying, well, we need either Golding or McCarron to come off the bench. And Chris, being, he's like, I just want to win. Man. So I'll do it. If you want me to come off the bench, I'll, I'll do that. And as a, all the rest of the players, all of us, we're thinking, hang on, you, of all people, you want to come off the bench to help our team success? So, you know, sometimes it only takes one guy like that to really change the whole identity of the team mindset, if there is those little cracks. I'll, um, I'll throw the cat amongst the pigeons slightly. What is... What's the bare minimum for the Phoenix this year? What is what's the bare minimum for a successful season? Oh, it's grand, it's be, it's be grand, grand final. final. Yeah. Grand final. Yeah, I mean, look at the depth. I mean, just sign Brandon Ashley. Yeah. You, you bring four. You get so close. You've got arguably at this current point in time, you've got the MVP in the league. Uh, it has to be. That's at bare minimum. If not taking it all out. Well, I think your so, your goal should be to improve. And yeah. I think most people think the roster got better. You yep. go take Melbourne to three games. They were the champion. So I think it should be grand final. Well, what happens? If, what happens if they fall short? Well, most teams fail. No, yeah. no, that's no. But I just, I'm just, just asking questions. Yeah. Well, again, it's got to, got to look at the way that I think that big thing is how if they fail, it's exactly yeah. what, what the reason they fail. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they come up against the team that's just clicking at the right time. And um, you said they they take Melbourne to three games. We won last year. They were really they were one quarter. Away yeah. from, yeah, yeah, getting. Oh, well, to win, being champions. That was whoever won that series is going to be champions once the Wildcats won without Bryce Cotton. So that let's yeah. be clear, they know to beat the Phoenix. And yeah, um, if they make a grand final series and don't kind of get over line or don't make the grand final series, then you got to find exactly and pinpoint what went wrong because they've got the mm. talent, they've got the core, they've got the culture. They should be licking their lips. Yeah, Steve. Let me throw a question at you then, Mister Quizmaster, <laughs> and that is. Ryan Brockoff, should he be coming off the bench? And the reason I ask this question is because when Pete talks about role clarity and also quite simply how, you, how and where you get your shots, too many times I'm watching the Phoenix and I'm saying, okay, well, you've got a, a player like Ryan Brockoff. How is he having one shot in the first quarter? How is he having two shots? The reason that is happening, in my opinion, is because you've got Mitch Creek, who plays the four, uh, plays the four, who handles the ball more than most guys that play that position. You got Xavier Mumford; he's going to have the ball in his hands. Maybe they don't need him in the starting lineup. Maybe he is better off coming off the bench. Let's get some. Let's get this guy some shots. You can play him out there. Maybe Kyle Adnam is the guy that can feed him the ball. Maybe that's where Ryan Brockoff thrives. Even though that's. Maybe a difficult pill for someone as talented as Ryan to take. Would he accept that? I don't know, but I think it's interesting. He's a good team guy. I don't see any problems with him accepting the role. It's a really interesting, you know, th thought exercise because he presents some interesting mismatch issues. He's a big guy that can, like, he's bigger than what you think. So, he, and he can shoot. So, why not try and take advantage of that? And if he does, even if he doesn't start, he's probably going to finish the game. So, you know, teams would have to respect him in the, in, in the fourth quarter yeah. from, from deep. So why not just, he's going to get the same amount of minutes. Why not just maximise them in the first, you know, in the second, third quarters where he can give, you know, Simon Mitchell some, some quality scoring minutes while the starters get a bit of a breather. See, see if you can get him going in the first quarter, Pete. What do you think? You bring him off the bench and you say get Kyle, Kyle Adams, vice captain of the all NBL green light team. Yes, I, know. I know. He's maybe not going to pass it as much as you would like. But <laughs> different lineup variations. Yeah, I think, I mean, I love that they uh, keep, keep shooting the ball. I think that's just something Simon Mitchell might need to tweak once he's obviously completely recovered from COVID. Yeah. Uh, those looks early. Get him uh, those options. And a lot of it's going to come from the success they've had with Mitch Creek and Joe Chitty and Xavier Mumford, then hopefully that opens up for him. Uh, I still think he's going he's gonna to be a massive part of their success. So I think he's just got to find a way to break out of this funk. The floodgates will open, and I think it's going to have to be the starter because Kyle Adnan, Mr. Greenlight, <laughs> you're not getting the ball from him. And you don't want to change Kyle Adams' role to try and be a facilitator off the bench because that's where he excels. I think that could be a thing. But that's why I'm not a coach, so maybe you do it. Well... The problem is that you see Kyle Adnam sometimes in these lineups with the starters as well, and then there's no chance. There's no yeah. chance. There's no chance he can even touch a ball. And credit to Simon Mitchell, he's actually said right from the start, Ryan Brokoff can do more than just be a catch and shoot guy. We're just trying to figure out how to do it, and it comes back to the fact that he's had no continuity, uh, which has made things difficult. Brian Gorgian is the king 
of inspiring his team. Now, oh. the other night he made a number of comments that this is must win. We're playing for our season. We're the worst defensive team in the league. Now, to his point, as I, as I already alluded to, they are giving up as many points as any team in the league. Uh, that even happened last night, despite the fact there was a lot of garbage time. Adelaide scored a bit in the fourth quarter when they were up big. Nonetheless, I'm sure Gorgian wouldn't, have, wouldn't be happy about it. This is probably the, the only issue I have with Illawarra right now. I'm sure they can figure it out. Brian Gorgian always had good defensive teams. This year, this team is so damn powerful on the offensive end that they're just outgunning teams and they'll probably be fine and they'll probably win most nights. But when you are an offensive team and you perhaps don't have the consistency defensively, you open yourself up to what happens if we shoot 20% from three on a night, you might lose the game. We've seen that a couple of times already this season. Yeah, I worry about them come finals time. Like, because you could, playoff teams win with defense. We all know this. It's, it's, it's etched in playoff stone. So, as you said, if you have an off night, like even last night against Adelaide, in the second quarter, they had a really nice lead and let Adelaide back into it. And, like, Gorge, if he had any hair left, he would have torn it out. Because <laughs> that's, that's the sort of thing that's maddening. Look, I can say that, you know, as part of the cue ball. Sure. But, <laughs> but it, it would be infuriating for a guy like Gorge, who his teams have traditionally been defensive powerhouses because it's all about effort and sweat and getting it done. And, yeah, they're incredibly high-powered this year. But come playoff time, is, is that going to be the Achilles heel for them? Those comments from Gorge, you know, that, that, that's called, that's goat mayonnaise. That oh, is, yeah. That is. Yeah, yeah. Abs- and, it's beautiful. And, yeah, but what it, when it comes to the, if he really believes that, that they are the worst defensive team in the league, anybody who knows Gorge, they're not going to be come finals. He will not allow them to be. And they're either going to do it because they buy in or he's going to make them do it with some horrendous practice. That's what Gorge does. It comes down to you will have no choice but to play defense if you want to be out there for me. Um, I think their leading guy in that is Antonius Cleveland. I think it's a great piece for them. The athleticism he brings on the defense, and we saw it a bit last night. Um, Sam Froling, what, what he does down low. Tyler Harvey, I'm not sure how many steals he had last night. Went into the game against Adelaide with 18 steals. Now, as a guy who led the NBL one in steals one year, I can guarantee you that doesn't mean you're a good defender. It does not mean you're a good defender. That means you Look can that read flex. the play. Look at that flex from <laughs> <laughs> Telling it how it is, it doesn't mean you're an exceptional defender because you can just get lucky with some steals. You read the off-the-ball play. A lot of people, when I was doing defensive play of the year, said, well, Tyler Harvey's leading the league in steals. He's got to be up there. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, I think it comes down to, again, how you play, buy into their defensive system, they're so, again, another team that's so talented, so deep. They will not be where they're at now in a, in a month's time once Brian Gorge and stuff with them. And I think he'll be, I, I think he'll be a bit annoyed from the game against Adelaide to win by 11. After, you got 89 points to the 36s mm. after you could have ran away with it by 40 numerous times. I can't think Brian, he'll be happy they won, but overall, I think he's going to be really annoyed. That was, that was 89 is literally their average of what they're conceding. Like, yeah. So they, yeah. Like, as far as Gorge is concerned, they didn't improve. They just got a win yeah. because they overpowered a, a team that had a bad third quarter. So, and to your point about, you know, like Tyler Harvey, well, they're missing Justin Simon. Like, you know, you look at, he was the guy that made that defense go. So, uh, it's going to be really interesting. But, but you're right, Gorge won't, you would think Gorge won't allow a team to not play defense come finals. Another team I'm just interested with the lineup stuff because they are going with Dwight Breath and Sam Froling, who have both been you know, awesome on individual nights. And then you have Harry Froling coming out there. <laughs> it was fun. That was fun. That was fun to see Harry Froling knocking down all those threes. He was getting the crowd going. But they are playing a little bit bigger. Uh, we're interested to see how the lineup stuff works. Again, it kind of goes back to your point, Pete, when you have so many talented players identifying those roles. Is someone happy if he decides to mix it up and say, I think we can play Cleveland in some smaller lineups a little bit because they are playing big. Adelaide is the other team that's really struggling defensively. They're also playing big. So I, I don't know. I'm just interested to see. But clearly, you know, offensively, when you look at what Sam and Harry are doing and then you have Dwight Breath, who's been a star, they look fine. And that's without Tyler Harvey hitting any shots yet. So I'm not overly worried about the Illawarra Hawks. Again, you always have this feeling of comfort when Brian Gorgian is the coach. No doubt. Who is the defensive player of the year so far, Pete? Question without notice. Sorry about that. 
No, it's all right. I'm, I'm trying to get my article ready to roll. I think it's Joe Chi. I really think it is. Okay. Uh, and even though he got a little bit exposed on the perimeter last couple of games, just his impact down low, we know he can block the shots. But if we go back and just take a stat of all the shots he's altered as being that last line of defense, it is incredible. Guys, maybe passing the last minute, double pumping, doing all this. He's just got such a great timing down low to be able to come across and help. This is why I love the Phoenix because normally when he comes up to be that second line of help, they now have it in their minds to, okay, if he's going to help, I've got to jump down on the other team's big and make sure they don't get an easy offensive rebound. That is the sign of – that's the championship style of play. You talk about defense winning championships and finals. That is what's going to help the Phoenix, I think, down the stretch. But he's just he's just an enormous presence. Um, I love everything he brings. Tajim McCall is going to be up there. We haven't seen Tajim McCall since five years ago. Yeah, that's how long. So, again, I, I, I struggle to put him back into frame uh, until he comes back out and shows him. Without Machado, he's relying so much on the offensive end. So, I think it's Joe Chi at this point in time. Steve? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, I just think back to that New Zealand game and just he was that – he was immovable. Like, you can't – any time that the breakers got any penetration at all, he, he rotated so cleanly, so smoothly. And he might not block a shot, but he changes everything. Like you try shooting over a skyscraper, like yeah, it's it's impossible. No, he's he's an absolute monster of a man. I probably if I had to do my top three right now, it'd be those two, and probably Xavier Cooks. I I don't think yeah. that there's a player that yeah. changes the game in the paint and on the perimeter. You're watching him; he's poking away balls from guards, and then he's blocking big men. So you know, Xavier Cooks, I think, is arguably the most versatile defender in the league. I probably uh, have him just ahead at the moment. But again, it skews it a little bit when you look at the record and you think, geez, Sydney's really been struggling, but Cooks has been uh, pretty damn good on that end. Is there a team? I mean, some of this stuff is difficult. We're going to look to wrap up this pod, but obviously Tasmania's been struggling. I don't think there's too much to talk about there at the moment. Cairns, we just haven't seen. As we're recording this, they are about to play Southeast Melbourne tonight. Pete, you've got a long drive ahead of you out to Gippsland. I'll make sure you catch Pete on the broadcast. Does an outstanding job. New Zealand... Super talented, probably pretty unlucky to start the season 0 and 6. Remember, they had a double overtime game against the Hawks. They took Southeast Melbourne right to the last minute at John Kane Arena. They sneak a couple of those wins. They're right in the mix. It is a long way to come back. But there's no question that they did look a better team with a healthy Peyton Seaver, healthy Jeremiah Martin coming off the bench. Remember, he had an interrupted preseason as well. They're talented, Pete. Well, you talk about Ryan Brokoff needing a bit of good luck. Man, the Breakers need some. Because oh, they COVID the week before the season. They didn't have the head coach to start with. Uh, guys took a while to get back to full health. And they they lose that double overtime game at Illawarra, which they yeah. have every Like, unbelievable. Then they obviously came to lay an egg in Melbourne, which as you would after you've just lost and taken one of the best teams to double overtime. Uh, then they get a couple wins and then they hit with COVID again. So it's just they cannot buy any good luck when you're already spending the entire season away from home. Like it's just, it's so unfortunate for them. Uh, and you're right though, when the last two games that they did win, it's just a different New Zealand breaker team. And it's so fun to watch when they're up and about. It is so fun. This is what I expected from Peyton Seaver. It's good to see him playing. Jeremiah Martin is a stud. I think Peyton Seaver might move to the starting lineup soon. Once they get back to, to full health, um, Jeremiah Martin, I think he's locked into being a sick man. He's just, that's his role. And he's, he sells in it. He's way better coming off the bench. I think he's bought into that. I'm not sure where that leaves the guy like his money, Jing. I'm not sure what is going to happen with him. I'm not sure about your thoughts. Well, Jeremiah Martin, just on, on that note, that last game, I can't even remember who they played now. It's so difficult to remember, but they won. But whatever. They came off the bench and that was where Dan Shamir was being asked about at halftime, the roles. I think it was against Sydney. It was the game they won. Yeah, they beat the Sydney Kings. Mm. So Shane Hill was asking, you know, why are you bringing these guys off the bench? But Jeremiah Martin came into the game with over seven minutes left in the first quarter and didn't go to the bench for the rest of the game. So what does it matter? <laughs> what does it matter if you're coming off the bench if you're going to play 37 minutes? So, yeah, no, they, they look fine. And a couple of the younger guys, we'll see what happens to them uh, through the rest of the season, Steve. I think the other thing to remember, it's not just this year that they've had the rotten luck because they've been on the road now for essentially two seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, this is insane. Like, the, the fact that they're competitive is... And I, I've, I've probably said this a lot, but Dan Shamir, you know, doesn't get the, the credit that he probably deserves for holding 
this group together over the best part of two full seasons when that, they've barely played at home, barely slept in their beds. Like, it's a phenomenal effort. Speaking of not well, playing actually, at home. I think this year might be harder in terms of men because they came, last yeah. year they came knowing they weren't going to get back and they did. So mm. it was kind of, they, they were flat and then they had a little bit of sparkle. Oh, we get to play some home games and they started to turn things around a little bit. This year they came over the mindset, oh, we're going home. So we're locked in here. We're yeah, a little yeah. bit know how to deal with it a little better. And then bang, recently just like, yo, it looks very unlikely you're going to get home. So they've gone from feeling good to like, oh man, how do we pick ourselves back up? So that would be arguably harder to deal with coming in with the way you spoke to him a media day as well, Kane. The, I love the attitude speaking to the players. Like, oh. We've done this before. We, we, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're just going to try and get as many wins as we can. We know how to try and deal with it away from the court. And then one news press conference changes everything. And then you're just like, man, we just, we, we can't do, we can't catch any, any break whatsoever. Speaking of that, last team to hit today, Perth has no idea when they're going home. If they don't go home for the rest of the season, which let's be honest, is on the table, can they win the title, Steve? Oh, I'm, every time I write the every time I write the Wildcats off, they prove me wrong. But this is a unique situation, isn't it? And it it's really really hard when you're not, especially with Perth. Like you look at RAC Arena and just how intimidating that atmosphere is for them. And it's 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 worth two or three wins on its own each year comfortably. So no, I don't think they can if they can't get home. Um, but you know, I've written them off before and they proved me wrong. So watch them watch them go win the title now. I guess. <laughs> yeah, timestamp this because I'm with you. I feel absolutely stupid to even say it, but yep. it's just the, the the power of the Red Army is too much. Uh, that environment, they they're the record crowd on a Sunday game for their last home game against Tassie, yep. and that's they use that. They feed off that. When it comes to finals, they know when you when you sign was on the contract to play for the Wildcats, you're signing to play finals. Doesn't matter who else is around. That's just what you do. So, yeah, I think they're going to be in the finals, but to be able to win a series away from home, not just away from home, away from the jungle, away from the Red Army, I just don't think they can do it. And again, as Steve said, they'll probably sweep everybody and they'll be <laughs> cheating I've never been to Perth. Coming into this season, I figured, you know, last year we were stuck here in Melbourne. We couldn't really do much. thought, this year I'm going to get around. I'm going to see some basketball. I'm going to go to some arenas I haven't been to. Never been to Perth. That was one arena I was looking forward to getting to. I don't think it's going to happen this season, uh, but we'll see. I'm hoping the Wildcats can get home. I'm hoping everyone listening to the podcast can get bloody home as well um, because it's been a long way to go. But let's wrap it up with MVP. Very, very, very difficult to, to really uh, you know, even ask this question or think about this just because of how sporadic it's been. I do think in the next couple of weeks, hopefully the noise starts to settle down a little bit because I just think so many of these performances in the last week or two, it's like, okay, let's give this team a mulligan. They haven't played in 75 days. Okay, this team, uh, they haven't even practiced. Let's not worry about them. But MVP, let's start with Pete. And by the way, I ridiculed you for suggesting that Vic Law could win the MVP. Technically, I still think it would be very difficult for him to win over Bryce Cotton, who is having an awesome season. Who's your MVP? Uh, right now, at this point in time, I just can't go past Mitch Creek. I know okay. I think he's scoring. It's it's unbelievable. But again, you talk about most valuable. That award, MVP is the only award that you really have to take into account the team success. Everything else can be individual stuff. You can have a guy, you can have the best defensive player in the league who locks up, gets steals, whatever, and they finish bottom. If he's just that much the best defender. I think Mitch Creek at the moment, just above Bryce Cotton, if not tied. Um, but a dark horse, a really – not really a dark horse. Someone that, again, the record's going to matter. Xavier Cooks is coming. Oh, Ooh, yeah. that, man, that man is coming. But in right now, Mitch Creek. How do you feel about that, Steve? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to go past him. It, Phoenix have only played five games. So, it's, you, you, obviously, we take that into account. They've only, they've only played, you know, once in a month or whatever it is. But it's, it's pretty hard to sort of um, to ignore that. Um, I agree about Cooks. The other one for me, uh, obviously Cotton. Um, Joe Reef is at least in the conversation, I think, just early on. Um, at least mention his name, I think. But, yeah, real hard to go past Creek. Yeah, agree with all those candidates. And, again, uh, credit to Melbourne United. It's hard to really look at them and say who would be the I, MVP I candidate. They don't have If you talk about most valuable player, and I know that no one looks at it that way, Chris Golding is the guy, right? Now, is he yeah, going no, to win the award? 
Probably not. He's getting up 10 threes a game. Maybe he needs to get up to 15 threes a game and he can get into the conversation. I, I don't see... Like, again, he's no doubt one of the most valuable players in the league in terms of what he brings. If you take him out of early night, no way they go on any sort of run like <laughs> they have been. Um, I think I, I like the fact that he's in your rolling All-NBL team, but I'll oh, first thing, I, mean, I really think that's something he's going to... He, that is, that's what he does. He's one of the best players in the league, no doubt. I just think they're too well-rounded to actually have anybody who stands out as an MVP. The only other person I think we could talk about if we talk about the team's any consistency is Robert Franks. I mean, he had a bit mm-hmm. of a slow last weekend, but leading up to that, he's averaging a double-double. Dude's a stud. Um, but again, if your team keeps halting, then it's going to be yeah. hard to put you in that real conversation. So the next two weeks are going to be crucial. But I love the ring up Chris Golding. Definitely all in my all-NBL first team right now, for sure. Apologies to Brisbane. Not much Brisbane chat today, but uh, I can't figure out what's going on with your team. I need to see a few more games. (laughs) I need to see a few more games. They could be in a bit of trouble now. If Terrell Harrison, if that peck is as bad as it looks, that changes. They need another piece. Jack Salt, he's not going to bring 30 minutes. He's got a big lose, a little spot thing against certain teams. You can't just play small every single minute of the game. So that could be a huge loss for them because he was my leading most improved player at this current point in time. So that's going to be massive. Because I love the Bullets. I think that's, I love that the story that nobody really was high on them and they've got the talent to do it. So I'd love to see them be able to find something to play a bit more consistently. No doubt. Steve, what a pleasure it is to have you back on board, mate. Oh, thanks, guys. Great to be back. Halls, get in the car. You've got to get out to Dandenong. Uh, have oh, fun yeah. tonight. Phoenix and Taipans. Yep. We got a tip. I'll take the Phoenix by double digits. But by the way, Cairns Taipans, a team that's resolved so far, has been mighty impressive. They've had guys out Ooh. each game. Tajir McCall's been awesome. Hopefully, it's a competitive game, and hopefully, you have a, a great call. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game. We've seen Cairns four times. We haven't seen for the last 30 odd days. So let's see what they can dish up. All right, we'll leave it there. It's been a while since we spoke NBL, so it was good to have the boys here as well. Thanks to the outstanding producer, Loz, who is going to make this thing sound absolutely perfect, uh, by the way, as well. We'll be back uh, with the Ball and Real World podcast later this week. Moving on to next week, plenty of NBA stuff going on. The trade deadline is right around the corner as well. There is a certain Australian that may or may not be a talking point at the trade deadline so we'll have all that covered and all the rest on the podcast here but for pete steve and myself we'll catch you guys next time